This podcast is proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli. So, hello and welcome to Tampa Tantrum episode the... I don't know, Jen wouldn't tell me. and She doesn't know when she's going to drop this in. Um, but yeah, Jen is responsible for you having to listen to me today. Um, when I was in Bolivia, uh, I did this weird monologue tamper tantrum where I talked a little bit about the trip that I was on in uh, Bolivia. And it seemed to be quite popular. We got lots of really good feedback on it. So I'm about to crush all of that by doing something terrible that you will give us lots of negative feedback and I never have to do them again. Now, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Um, so I'm currently in Nieri, um, in the Aberdeer National Park, um, at a hotel called Treetops. Uh, and I'm on the very last day of my trip today. We start our journey back towards the airport and then leave very late tonight, early Sunday morning. So, um, yeah, what we thought we'd do is just recap over the trip a little bit, give you some of my thoughts about Kenya... Um, some of my thoughts about the future of Kenya um, and just a general roundup of the whole trip. So hopefully this will go well. I can't start these things without giving you a little bit of insight into my travel. Um, the way that I travel, I am the worst traveller. Um, I don't fly well. I get super nervous. Lots of you know that. Um, but I also... I, I always seem to make mistakes when I'm travelling. So this trip, we set off from Birmingham... Um, at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, lovely time to set off. It meant that <clears throat> no early starts at the airport, no getting up the crack of dawn. Went through Istanbul, it was around about 5, 6 o'clock their time, um, and then landed in uh, Kenya, it was around about 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, which is an unsightly time. And by that point, I hadn't slept on the plane, I'm a little bit of a mess, uh, rushing to get off the plane as you always do. The, I think Colin calls it the, um, the the head dance where everybody stands underneath the cabins and holds their head slightly to the right or to the left so they can get out the seat as quickly as possible. Um, I left my iPad on there. Didn't find out until we got to the hotel at 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, then went through a frantic hour or so of trying to get in contact with the airline, couldn't get in touch with anybody. Um, they found the iPad in the end. I got to bed about 7 o'clock and was up at 8. So... 24 hours of travelling, all that, no sleep, straight onto the farms. I had to be back at the airport the next day at 2am to go and collect the iPad. So it was a little bit of a mess. But we started day one by going to a farm I've bought from for about three years, um, and it's fairly unusual. So if you've been in coffee a while, you might remember Gethambuini. Gethambuini was one coffee that really shook my world and I know it shook a lot of people other people's and kind of formed their thoughts on Kenyan coffee because it was so unique and so delicious um, well Kariga which is the farm that we visited owned by Brian um, is literally across the road and when I say across the road it's across the road from Gethambuini um, and it's an estate coffee like Gethambuini was which is again unusual for, for, for Kenya you're not seeing uh, so many estates anymore. We see far more factories and co-ops than we are estates um, doing good work. Um, Gethambuini is now a gated community, um, so there's houses built on it, um, and people from uh, Nairobi buy a house there, travel into 
at Nairobi, which is like on a good t on a good time, forty minutes on a bad time, several hours, but um, much cheaper than living in Nairobi. Much more healthy, much cleaner, uh, much safer. Um, so yeah, so so Brian is a, uh, a twenty hectare farm, which is pretty big, um, pretty big for Kenya. Um, not not so big in the rest of the world, I guess. <coughs> so excuse me, I'm very chesty. Um, so Brian picks us up and takes. And when I'm saying us, by the way, I forgot to let you know that um, I wasn't on my own on this trip. Uh, I was with um, Roland, who's one of my roasters at Has Been, and Brian, who's one of mine and Colin's roasters at 3FE. And uh, it's their first trip to Africa. For, for Simon, it was his first trip ever to a coffee farm. Um, Roland's done a couple of excellence in Costa Rica before. So we all went to the farm and uh, had a tour around, um, got to see the, you know, the, the, the wet mill, and got to see the trees and the different sections that he's got there and all the farms like dissected up into little parcels and got to hear what an estate farmer says. And estate farmer saying, yeah, I like SL28, I like SL34, it's great coffee. But unfortunately, it's not giving me the yields that I need. So I'm starting to experiment with like Batian and uh, Riru um, and other varietals that are kind of giving more um, yield. But for us coffee people, we tend to get a little bit worried that they're giving us less in the cup um, and, and, and not that special taste that we find in so many, many um, Kenyan coffees. I think SL28 with 34 for me is probably the one varietal that we have that we can potentially show customers this is what you can expect from this profile this is something that will give you this taste just as the wine industry talks about their chardonnays and all the rest it's very difficult to talk about a bourbon and say oh well, this Katura is going to give you something completely different to this bourbon but I think with SL28 we've all kind of handled we've all got our head around that this is a varietal that has specific flavour, you know, traits to it. So we talk about high acidity, we talk about um, black currant, we talk about red wine, uh, we talk about all of these, you know, very traditional Kenyan flavours. Now, on the flip side, I don't think it's so much about the varietal. I'm kind of contradicting myself, aren't I? I think it's a lot to do with the processing. You know, Kenyan processing is fairly unique, and we got to see that at... Uh, Brian's uh, wet mill, you know the 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 washing, the extra washing, the soaking, the you know the dry fermentation mixed with a, a a wet fermentation, just so much different things going on, but so so intense a processing. And from here, Brian took us to um, a dry mill, and uh, the dry mill was called uh, Cafe Naf, um, and it's huge. So there are thousands upon thousands of bags every day going through there. And dry milling, sorry if I'm teaching you to suck eggs, but I know some people don't don't see processing, you know, and don't necessarily understand what dry dry milling is a process where you're removing it from parchment, you're sorting it to find the bean size grade, you're trying to remove, you know, uh, impurities or faults like broken beans and cracked beans and um, and trying to get a more uniformed um, approaching, and this is where things like double A, 
um, which is the screen 17 being or up, or AB, which is screen 16 down, become what they are, uh, and tends to be where we find the peabrys as well, and that are so famous from, from Kenya. Um, but very easy, interesting to see this huge dry mill. Like, it, it, it's absolutely a machine, and they really are going through the process um, 24 hours a day sometimes to really get that, get that coffee processed. Um, so very interesting to see. We went back um, to the hotel that we were stopping at, which was good, because I could get a couple of hours sleep before I then went and picked up my laptop bag and got no more sleep before we went straight to Kieni. So, uh, Kariga is in uh, Thika. Uh, Kieni is in Nyeri. Two very different regions. Um, and Kieni is a completely different beast to uh, Kariga as well. So, Kieni is um, around about 1,000 people uh, cooperative. Kieni is the factory. So, it's the f they, they call their wet mills factories. And what will happen, these thousand people will pick their coffee. Some of them will only have a, a handful of plants. We were talking to one guy who's got 40 plants. Um, and then some of the people will have thousands of plants. And they will deliver their cherry to the mill. The mill will look at the, the cherries and go, right, we need to pick out these underripes. We need to pick out these under, you know, underdeveloped beans, uh, these damaged beans. Give them back to them in a little bag and say, right, take those home with you. We don't want those. And then the good beans will go into the hopper. Interesting here, this is where the conversation started to happen about price. So how much do they get paid? Because, you know, a factory just buys cherry. They have to sell the coffee. The farmer doesn't get the money. He gets his money for delivering the cherry. And it was around about 87 shillings per kilo of cherry, um, which, if you work out, is probably around about a, a pound of green coffee. So they're getting around about 87 cents per pound of green coffee, which sounds absolutely terrible. Um, doesn't sound like a really good amount at all. Um, but we drop this down in our little books and get ready to go to our, our, our next place. Um, and very impressed with the factory. Uh, the factory manager and the chairman of the factory both showed us around. Incredibly engaging, smart, intelligent people. Uh, really wanted to do good things for the people that deliver the cherry to them. Um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, they're just part of a committee that are in, voted in by the people. So they're there to work for the people who, who are doing it. But very, very interesting. Um, we then got into the car and we went to a, a factory called Caragotto. Uh, Caragotto is a um, part of, I'm trying to think of the name, the Tegu is another one of the cooperative, and I can't remember the, co the actual cooperative name, but so the factory is a factory with inside a cooperative, and they cooperative will quite often have five or six different factories. Um, so different delivering stations, but also different processing stations. Um, at Caragotto, we got to plant a tree. So we planted a has-been tree and a 3FE tree, um, which was exciting. Uh, hopefully look forward to coming back in years to come and seeing my trees much bigger than Colin's tree. Um, but Caragotto, we got to t the, the, the washing station is on a very steep hill, and there is a road in the middle, and then the drying beds are on the other side of the road. Um, the other side of the road um, 
obviously very difficult to get the cherry to because it's up the hill. So they've introduced this very clever pumping system that pumps the coffee underneath the road and delivers it by water to the drying beds, which are up the hill. I thought it was incredibly interesting to see. I've seen these pumping things before, but never on the scale of going underneath the road. Um, also good, good to see that there were a lot of roasters from around the world who were sponsoring beds there. So there was Seattle Coffee Works had sponsored some beds. Uh, Tim Wendelbow from Norway had sponsored some beds there. Um, and very interesting kind of setup to see what was going on and, um, you know, just just to see again a different set of processing. You know, there it was a matter of, I don't know, 10 kilometres away from uh, Kieni, but their washing was just completely different. They were doing a much longer underwater fermentation. They were experimenting with... Uh, fermentations there. They've got one experiment where they were doing just all underwater while we were there, um, and that was really just to see um, how it tasted. And I, I very much enjoyed the enthusiasm of the uh, factory manager. He was just a super into it guy and just didn't want us to leave. We carried on talking to us for a long time, and to be honest, we didn't want to leave, but we had to because we had another factory to go to, which was called Kiamania. Um, a very, very small factory compared to the others that we've seen. Um, still producing around about, I think it was 4,000 bags. I'm guessing, this is off the top of my head now, so you'll have to excuse me, I'm terrible at taking notes. This is where I need Roland, because he took loads of notes. Um, but um, Kiamania was uh, managed by the factory manager, which was Jean, who's got 16 years of being the factory manager there. Um, the deepest hill you like you really had to be a mountain goat to get up to the drying beds and get down to the washing station but here again we saw a slightly different variation of the wet processing um, somebody was doing something completely different again well, not completely different that, that, that's an over exaggeration but somebody's doing something really different again by different fermentation times a different mixture of dry and underwater fermentation um, a different post washing it just started to blow my mind at the variations, even though we talk about this underwater fermentation. You know, that it was actually underwater for a very short amount of time. Um, and a lot of the time they were doing that just to slow it down because they hadn't got any bed space, uh, so the beds to dry the parchment on. Um, loved the place. Had a very unique feeling to it. Somewhere I've never been before. It's not somewhere I've bought coffee from before. It's somewhere that I'm really asking for samples to, to buy before. Uh, by again, you know, by this time, um, but this is where the interesting conversation came in about the payments. So she was saying that Jean was saying that they're, they're getting around about fifty to sixty um, shillings per kilo of cherry. So that's fifty to sixty cents per pound of green coffee. At, at the end of it, and when I say that, you have to remember they're not going to process this cherry. They just hand it over, and somebody else does that. They don't have to market this cherry. They just hand it over, somebody else does that. But that's a lot of work to pick a kilo of cherries and get 60 shillings, 50, 60 shillings. It's balmy, absolutely balmy. Um, and somewhere that I think you know we could really maybe do something to help pay more. Um, it's, an, it's a good small factory, so hopefully they can. it will be quality. The problem with all of this, I've not cupped it. 
I've not tasted the coffee, and if the coffee tastes no good, well, what good's a story without tasty coffee? But it's something that I'm really holding out heaps of hope for. Um, so then we go back to our hotel. Well, we go to our new hotel, which is uh, the outspan in the area, which is um, the place where Baden Powell, the, the, the guy who invented the Cub Scouts, uh, is buried. And he actually built a house within the grounds of it. It's kind of weird going around all these historical places um, and, and seeing all these things. But had the night there. <clears throat> and then the next morning, we got up fairly early and went to another factory called Kagumo. Um, and Kagumo uh, were processing at the time, so they were actually using their washing station to process the seed, uh, you know, process the cherry from the night before. So they, it had all been pulped, and it was all left uh, soaking in water overnight, and then they came in in the morning and started to go through the washing channels and uh, sorting the different grades out on the farm. So before the coffee even gets to uh, the dry mill, you know, there's a massive amount of sorting that's gone on to sort through the different cherries, to sort through the different grades, and this is where they started to talk about P1s, which was the you know, production quality number one, which is the good stuff, and then you'd have P2s, and then you'd have a whole heap of other stuff afterwards that wasn't so good quality. Um, but one thing I learned from Kenya is every coffee has, it ho has its home. Um, a few years ago, I went to the uh, Kenya auctions and was cupping all of the samples that were in the catalogue for that week, and some of the samples, oh my God, it was like sawdust. It was like chips and broken bits were still finding a home. Um, but yeah, uh, Kagumu was, was really good to see that washing process and good for the guys to see it as well because they've never seen processing like that before. Well, they, and neither of them have seen processing before actually because even when Roland went to Costa Rica, it was Cup of Excellence, which is always post-harvest. Um, from there, we drove to um, another uh, coffee uh, that we buy. Um, so the cooperative is called Athaya, and we went to their headquarters and dry mill uh, and did some cupping. And, and we dry mill on a much smaller scale, so didn't have the same kind of storage facilities, wasn't processing the same amount of coffee, um, but invested a heap in really good equipment, and, and they were very proud to show me their new equipment that they've done. The other thing that really excited me was they are, they bought a roaster. So they're a local member of parliament for, uh, for, for the region. Their local politician had bought them um, a roaster. So what they're going to start doing is roasting coffee and try and sell it into the local market. So to add some value at Origin to sell to people in Kenya that might want to buy a better coffee. <coughs> I thought that was super smart. Uh, first of the MP to support... Um, their local uh, local cooperative, but also for the cooperative to want to do that and add some value to the coffee. So that was that was super exciting. We then jumped in a car and went to Chinga. Uh, Chinga is the factory that is part of one, one of the factories of the Athaya cooperative, um, run by a guy called Gary John, and uh, this is a place that we do natural. So we do a 30-bag natural lot from there. They've done it for us for the last few years. We love it, huge fan of it, like the guys very much. But it looks like this year it may be a little bit harder to get that coffee because Chinga's going through a 60% reduction in its coffee production. So the coffee, the cherries that are being delivered are 60% less than what they were getting last year. And this has been repeated. So Kariga yields down 30 40%. Kieni 
down 30 to 40 per cent. Caragotto, 30 to 50 per cent. Kikiamania, 30 to 40 per cent. Kagumu, 40 per cent. And Athaya, in general, 30 to 40 per cent. And then you go to Chinga, and it's just this huge amount different. Um, it must be so difficult. It's just like suddenly losing half of your customers. Think about it at a coffee shop and you open your coffee shop door and one year you have 100 regular customers come in every, every day and then the following year you suddenly have 40. Like, how do you cope with that as a business? And, and, and how does the... Uh, I don't know the answer to that, by the way. I don't know the answer to that. And then, uh, from Athaya, we jump in the car. Now, we've got... I've got a in my mug subscriber, so one of my retail customers on the website, um, who is married to a girl from Kenya. And uh, she, she, he, him and her kept saying to us, oh, my uncle's got this farm in Kenya. Um, you should, like, next time you're there, you should go visit. And I'm always, I get a lot of these weird, weird connections. Um, but Jamie, I somehow kind of went, all right, okay, maybe. Um, so Roland's been talking to them and he decided that we would go and see this place, which was a good idea, actually. He did good. Um, so we went to this farm called Jenit, um, owned by Jogu, uh, Jogu Kanagaru, I think it is. And um, Jogu were, is a real farmer. He has like 60, 70 pigs on the farm and he really farms the land. He's a, he's a proper, proper farmer, which was... Uh, it's, I, I love those kind of places. We, we buy from uh, another farm um, that does exactly the same, that has its livestock and animals. I just think it's so cool when that happens. Um, but yeah, Jogu was telling us that he used to process his own coffee. He has his own wet mill there. Um, but it just didn't prove worthwhile for him to do that anymore. So he's currently delivering to Athaya at their headquarters, which is where we'd been earlier on in the day. Um, but we got talking to him and we went round his plants and because he has all of these pigs, um, he's feeding the plants with like manure, you know, he's he, real fertiliser that is natural. Um, and the other interesting thing that came in, even though he has nowhere to sell his coffee, he says, yeah, I, I started to plant Batia and Ruru, but what I've started to do is pull it out and replant SL2834 because I like it grows better for me, um, it responds better to the fertilisers and I don't know, I just want to go back to that. Even though he doesn't have a market to sell the coffee in and he doesn't care about the cup, he was talking about that actually it's really important that the plants grow well and this grows well for me. He also talked a lot about his neighbouring farms were suffering a lot from leaf rust and because he doesn't use any chemicals and he doesn't use any, uh, any other fertilisers apart from manure he says he hasn't had any leaf rust issues and he doesn't know why um, he says he has had some issues with coffee borer and um, the coffee it's a coffee insect that bores into the seed um, and he's struggling with that a little bit but he doesn't have any issues with leaf rust when all of his neighbors do and i just found that really really interesting <clears throat> and that was the end of the trip um kind of we've been on safari yesterday and we're making our way back today um, but I never do holiday things when I come on these trips and I've really tried this year to make sure that I do so last, earlier on in the year I went to the Salt Flats in Bolivia and this year I've been on safari and stopped in this great hotel so those who don't know the Treetops Hotel 
It's uh, famous for, um, in 1952, the Queen uh, was stopping in this... It's actually been rebuilt since then, but stopping in the Treetops Hotel. And as she climbed the tree house, because it's up on stilts and it's made of wood, uh, she climbed the tree, she went to bed a princess and came down a queen because her father passed away, uh, the king, and she became the queen um, that day. And um, they don't half milk it, but I can see why, because it's... It's an absolutely beautiful place. Last night we sat here and watched um, five elephants, three hippos, and um, um, well, what they're called, and something else. <laughs> so yeah, I'm dead all, dead good with the animals. Um, we sat there and watched them just all feeding and fighting at the watering hole, and uh, just generally annoying each other, which was a bit like me, Roland, and Simon on the trip. So that's me done. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you're kind of still up with me at this point um, and um, look forward to talking to one of our next Tamper Tantrum that isn't a monologue. Over and out. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It's proudly brought to you by Nuova Simonelli.